0: He first became known to millions as Spence on the sitcom The King of Queens and brought the alternative comedy scene to the screen thanks to the Comedians of Comedy Tour, which began a 2005 movie produced and distributed by Netflix as well as the Comedy Central series. Since then, you've seen him on TV in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Justified, Veep, Happy, Veronica Mars, BoJack Horseman, and Will and & Grace, and on the big screen in Blade Trinity, big fan, young adult, and, of course, the voice of Ratatouille. He's currently heard on ABC's The Goldbergs and seen on Peacock's AP bio. Oswald won both the Emmy and the Grammy for his 2016 stand-up special, Talking for Clapping, and received nominations yet again for his 2020 special, I Love Everything. Oswald caught up with me via Zoom to talk about performing comedy virtually during the pandemic for Rush Ticks*, and walked with me down memory lane as we reminisced about adapting to the evolving technology during the digital comedy boom. So let's get to it! So... Patton, if Patton Oswald, if you'll indulge me for a minute, I promise this will make sense. All right. So thank you for joining me. Um, the first time I remember seeing you live in person was, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it was about 25 years ago. Wow. Yeah, I, um, back in 1996, I was a newspaper reporter in Seattle, and I was just starting to get involved in comedy, doing oh. improv and stand-up at the Comedy Underground.
1: Oh and, yeah, Swanee's.
0: Yeah, underneath Swanee's, the baseball bar, yeah. and and I distinct. I have this distinct memory of seeing you come there to headline, and this was back. You know, that was a club that didn't have a proper green room. They just made the comedians uh, wait in the manager's office. Yeah, we just kind of yeah, or we sat in the back, and uh, the most distinctive memory I have of you from that period was that you were wearing a suit.
1: i don't remember i mean maybe there was a time i wore suits i don't remember i think maybe because i was headlining i'm like oh maybe i should wear a suit but that just
0: that just says so much about where stand-up comedy was at in the mid 90s yeah
1: exactly oh my god yeah i wore a suit (laughs) i had to pack a suit and travel with a suit oh lord
0: yeah we don't do that we certainly don't do that in 2021 no, um, we don't. A few years ago, I I was tripped into thinking I was doing a podcast with you. Uh, <laughs> this was in Montreal uh, a few years ago, and I showed up, and Dave Rath caught me at as I was checking in. And, yeah. and Rath comes up, and he goes, oh, I'm so excited for you to, to sit down with Pat, and this is going to be great. And I'm like, what? What's happening? And I went and I checked the schedule. I'm like, this is exciting. And it turned out that he had booked you on a uh, Stuart Goldsmith's podcast, the Comed- oh, comedian. No. And I'm oh, sorry. He'd, he'd, I mean, it's, it's, it's in retrospect, not, not a bad uh, misunderstanding. You know, the comedian's comedian, the comics. comic. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Oh man. <laughs> oh, <I'm> sorry.
0: <laughs> That's quite all right. But it, it segues nicely into cut to 2021. <laughs> So what was Dave Rath's sales pitch to you on Rush ticks?
1: Um, a, a bunch of my friends had done shows on it, and I, and I watched them, and they went really, really well and it's, it seems like a really good platform, uh, especially because you actually get some feedback from you know people that are on it. You're not just talking into silence, so uh, it's just it's yet another platform, but I'm going to give it a whirl. We'll see how it goes
0: how How much have you jumped into this? brave, strange world of, of virtual
1: comedy. Not that much. This is only my second show. And I'm hoping that, you know, on the other side of the pandemic, I'll get to do live shows again. I, you know, I don't, it's hard for me to just sort of sit and talk into a, into a screen. It just, it's, it's, it's very enervating. It's even doing like interviews and zoom meetings. I just feel so exhausted afterward. There's no contact.
0: Right, I was talking to the people with Rush Ticks before you, you jumped on here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it seems like this this is really great for fans of comedy, but I've yet to see anybody still find a way to make virtual comedy seem like it's on stage for a comedian. Yeah, it just doesn't... You're still, You're
1: still in your house. Yeah, the, the change hasn't happened yet.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing that's been, you know, we're currently in the midst of awards season. I know you hosted for Sundance this year. Yeah. And um, how has your perspective on awards and recognition from them changed over the years?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm more, obviously I'm always gratified to, to get, especially when it's an award given by your peers. Like that really means a lot to me, but I, I try not to think about, awards and stuff when i'm actually doing the work i think that's the only thing that changes That when i do the work i'm just doing the work and then the awards can sort themselves out but i want to have you've got to have more fun doing the work rather than trying to work for the award
0: right at the same time though you know you had had you'd received a few grammy nominations before you got your first grammy for for talking for clapping Mm -hmm. so did when you were when you were out for them or even before that, when you we weren't even getting a nomination, did your did your feelings about them change depending on
1: whether you were nominated and, or whether you won? Or I didn't ever think I'd get nominated, so it was never like something that was on my radar. It was a nice, it was such a surprise just to get nominated. I mean, I know that sounds like a cliche, but I I, I wasn't even expecting that. I never know when they're going to be announced or anything like that. So when it happens, it's a nice bonus. Again, I try to have more fun doing the work mm-hmm. and creating the work. That's got to be that's always got to be the first and foremost.
0: The, the, what, the one thing that strikes me as fascinating is that the Grammy that you, that you currently have, Mm -hmm. uh, it was a Netflix special, but for the, for the album, you put it out through a special thing. Yeah. Which, which for those of you who haven't been following comedy for the last 20 years, uh, started as a message board.
1: Yes. And. uh, (laughs) grew into a little indie record label. And I love the, I love the, attention they bring to up and coming comedians or comedians that are, 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 are professional, but not in the mainstream. And their, their, um their roster is so impressive. And they, uh they wanted to put my album out on vinyl. And I was like, absolutely. Oh my God. I was so happy to get to be with that group. But when, you know, when I talk about the evolution of,
0: of you in the late nineties in a suit <clears throat> to you in your home for rush ticks, yeah. Like, just, just reminding myself of the message board years of the early aughts. What was your experience like with
1: that message board? in a special thing. It was, it was like a, it was like a primer for Twitter because you would see that there were people that were genuinely like wanting to talk to comedians and stuff, and there, then there were just trolls that just wanted attention and like, oh, okay. So you just sort of saw that, it, and you also saw that it was just electrons. It was, it didn't really affect the real world. So have fun with it, but don't make it your life. How often did you interact with with people on there? Every, every few days I would see if there were any questions that people wanted answered. Did people have good questions or was it? Yeah, there were some, I mean, there were, there were some really deep comedy fans that, that would go to shows and have a question about a bit or how something evolved, And, you know, it was, it was like, Oh wow. There's people that really care about this as much as I do that are in the audience. It felt good. Right. And, and also it was, you know, you, t- you talk about it being
0: pre-Twitter because it was before Twitter. It was very much a niche group of, of, you know, dare I say comedy nerds, but definitely big comedy fans. Whereas right. Twitter is just the maelstrom of anyone can be following you. Right. Anyone anyone can at reply you.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Uh, the, um, uh, it just, it just, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, again, Twitter to me is still, I try to make it, it's got to be fun for me and not my life. So mm-hmm. as far as, yeah, I mean, you, you, you answered your own question there. It, it totally expanded.
0: <laughs> yeah, it totally the, o- did. <laughs> the other, the other pre-Twitter thing that I, that I, that I deeply remember you for still was your presence on MySpace, because you would You would go into these lengthy blogs that I would subscribe to, and oh wow, yeah, and really inter- and really kind of like devote yourself to that platform and
1: I didn't know anyone was I, it was just a great release to just write about something that I was never going to turn into a bit, or like, oh, this thing happened, and I can write a lengthy idea about it, you know here on Myspace. it was like Myspace was such a god, what a benign memory that place was for the most part, you know what I mean like. Why did we ever let that go and turn to Twitter?
0: I don't, I don't know. That's, you know, maybe, maybe for those of us in in generation X, it's it really is nostalgic to think kind of like uh, the scene from the TV show lost, you know, how do we go back? How do we get, how do we get back to that time?
1: How do we go back? Exactly.
0: I don't know what, what, what happened?
1: I don't know. You don't know. I I mean, again, I'm sure it's some it's some massive, you know, shifting of capital and business that is not my area. And I don't know and I don't care. I just want to keep creating stuff.
0: (laughs) The thing thing that I think for for me with MySpace was um, the fact that it it doesn't a specific formatting of pages for comedians. You know, it used to have like MySpace comedy and you could you could list all your gigs on there and it was really set up. Yeah. Yeah. You,
1: there was something like that. Wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. Uh, <laughs> um, I, don't, yeah. I don't even remember. I just, it's just, it's so long ago, but it was great. You know? Right. Well,
0: you know, it's it's kind of, I'm, you know, kind of doing it. I realize I'm doing a, this is your life in terms of technology.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, those are, when people ask me about like, Twitter and Facebook to me, that's just something that I do kind of as a way to pass the time. It's hard for me to sit and analyze it because I don't put that much thought into it you know but you don't you don't you really do Facebook at all now right no i I just have a now I just have a page of gigs and stuff like that that someone else runs because Facebook was getting so ugly and weird I just had to shut the whole thing down it was it wasn't worth it.
0: Is that is that also why you don't really podcast?
1: Um I might do a podcast later this year. I just haven't had time, you know. Again, it's another like outlet, but I have all these other outlets that I want to tend to right now. I mean mm-hmm. I I think podcasting is awesome, but I want to be able to bring something original to it and I just hadn't haven't really thought of a great idea for a podcast yet.
0: Okay. Yeah, that was that was my excuse for a long time. Especially when I used to say back I started my podcast in 2015, but for the five years before that, I was telling people there were there were too many podcasts, and that's why I wasn't doing it. But oh, yeah, but every year there's I mean, more and more. Like,
1: like any subject that I might want to cover, I go research it, and there's an already an excellent podcast about it. So I'm like, well, why am I why am I going down this road?
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. One of the things, like if I if I did have the chance to to talk to you in Montreal the thing that I really wanted to ask you about was uh, you had done a keynote address there yeah. in uh, in 2012 where you wrote letters to both comedians and to the industry. Oh yeah. And it's, it's fascinating to me, like in the almost decades since then, just how much has changed in yeah. terms of like, you know, the technologies that are available, the technologies that work for comedians. Yeah. And, you know, you yourself said, you know, you don't really like spend too much time thinking about each specific platform as much as like how you can contribute to it and how you can create. Um, how important is it for comedians to stay current with what's happening in terms of TikTok and whatever comes I next? I mean, it,
1: it, it depends on you just have to be current. You have to know what all the platforms are. You don't necessarily have to use them, but know what they are, because for all you know, a platform could come along that could really cater to your strengths. So, you know, know what that is. You could really blow up that way. You know, look what happened to Sarah Cooper. Look what happened to Randy Rainbow. You know, they, they found a way electronically to blow up. So you, so you still feel
0: then that there's opportunities for comedians in this digital landscape where everybody oh. everybody can feel like they're a comedian and everybody can... It's,
1: I mean, if you have something original to say, there's a platform to get it out on. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think everybody wants to be a comedian. They don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean everyone is a comedian, but if you actually have the chops, there's something out there for you. Uh,
0: the the other thing you mentioned in your keynote was, was the great lesson that you learned from doing the comedians of comedy tour. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just think back to that time, which was what, 2004 to 2006. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like how did you go about, like back then, like the only other person I know who was performing in rock clubs was Doug Stanhope. Most other people, well, were, most other also, people.
1: Uh, David Cross was mm-hmm. doing a lot of that. And um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it, it, for me, it just came down to I wasn't reaching the people that I needed to reach uh, in comedy clubs. I was only, you know, cause I was on King of Queens. so I was getting people that wanted to, you know, they, they kind of wanted to see King of Queens or, you know, whatever that means. And, and, and King of Queens was a great show, but I was doing a different kind of comedy. So I had to find a way to reach the people that would come see that, you know? So how did
0: you, how did you reach those people and let them know that you were in the rock clubs? Like what was the, what was the, what was the methodology or the process of getting, Uh, reaching out to your fans?
1: Just, just finding the venues that they would come to and, finding the, you know, starting to use the emerging uh, social media technology to start reaching them. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes the venue decides the audience and then that audience will talk to other audiences elsewhere. And because we were doing this unique thing, it got started to get a lot of press. So we were really lucky that way.
0: Okay. Because like I saw you on that tour at the Paradise Rock Club in Boston. Oh, my God. That was a great show. It was a great show. Really it, it was, fun. And it was a great club. Yeah, that was, I don't know if he did this on the other stuff, but that was the one where, like, Zach was, like, perched in a in a deep upper corner of the audience with a saxophone.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was so many different things we would try and do. Um, it was different every show. We didn't know what we were going to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I, But I'm
0: wondering, like, how much, like, that might have been, like, well, people who are just used to knowing that the Paradise always books great bands. Well, if they're booking comedy, it must be great comedy.
1: Yeah. That also helps. Like if if you're a comedian who's doing the 40 watt, there's a reason that you're there. Like people will go see that like, Oh, what's going on there? You know? Yeah. So,
0: um, you know, bringing it back up to today, um, you know, I know you have very limited experience with doing the zoom shows, doing, you know, you're going to be doing rush ticks for the first time.
1: Well, I have as much experience with everyone as everyone else has, which is a year's worth of experience. You know, everyone, everyone's scrambling and everyone's new at it. So. Right.
0: The other thing, you know, this, this period has allowed us to do is kind of re re reevaluate the industry in general. You know, you've had, you've had, you know, vaunted institutions like the second city change, change, uh, CEOs, you've had yeah. the UCB close, you've had other comedy clubs close, you've had uh, comedians taking another look at uh, issues of sexual assault and yep. racism. You know, s- since you've been in, in, the, in, the, in the clubs and in the industry for, for long enough now to see the different waves, how optimistic are you that, that things will change once we do
1: eventually reopen? Things will always change. Things change. So when I when I was started in the late '80s, it was you did it. You got a clean five. You went on the Tonight Show. You got a sitcom, and that was the only way you did it. And then that all got blown up. So everything, whatever becomes the norm, will get blown up and change into something. That's how the industry has to be. That's how creatively it has to be. It has to change and evolve and mutate. And people that are digging in and going, "Oh, it's cancel culture," and why can't I still talk? It's like they just don't want. To have to expand what they do, and 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 then they eventually. I mean, there were people that were so. I remember very vocal against alt comedy and doing comedy outside of comedy clubs, and because they're like, no, you do your your clean five, and you get on the Tonight Show. It's like, guys, the Tonight Show has been gone for ten years. Like, it's not that's not happening anymore. There's you know there's something, and so you have to be able to roll and adapt. You know, it's it's not. it's not survival of the fittest. It's survival of who's able to adapt the best.
0: But just in terms of like, you know, people have been complaining about comedy club bookers, uh, overlooking women or giving, not giving them enough chances or, Mm -hmm. or pigeonholing black comedians and making them perform on the chitlin circuit instead of, Mm -hmm. or on only on like chocolate Sundays nights instead of like with the, (laughs) with all the rest of the comedians. Yeah. But, or people have been complaining about comedy pay mm-hmm. because the pay for features has been the same mm-hmm. since 25 years ago. Yeah. How many of those things do you think might change?
1: I think everything will change in one way or the other. Everything will constantly change. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, a lot of times change has to come from making a lot of noise, uh, making a lot of noise that, about stuff that, shouldn't have to have a lot of noise made about it, but that's how it is. Mm-hmm. And it's very, and it can be very, very frustrating, but you know, the, um, uh, I just, it, it's, I guess it's human nature to want to burrow into a rut and be comfortable. And you gotta, you know, you gotta chase people out of that rut sometimes. And, and they're not, they're not going to leave without force.
0: If, uh, you know, you know we've, we've had a change in administration and politics, you know, and everybody's talking about all the executive orders that Joe Biden has put forward in his first year. If you could if you were president of comedy and could <laughs> and could issue some could issue some executive orders by fiat, what would you what would you what would
1: you want to put in place? I would I would try to do something where emerging comedians would be allowed five years in the wilderness, five years of not being filmed, five years of not having every set that you do. I mean, a lot of these comedians do it to themselves. They post everything they do on YouTube guys, enjoy your years in the wilderness. They're so valuable. So I would find a way to go, you know, you can, you can go out there. And um, and just be, make your mistakes for five or six years, figure out your identity and then spring yourself on the public. I don't know how I would institute that law, but I would urge people to do that
0: that is that is very great advice and should be uh should be legislation
1: yeah and i would um I would have like signal blockers in every comedy club so that no one can film people's sets and put them online or just go, uh, hey you know I, I would just let people form, let people form without you know <clears throat> without jumping on them every step of the way. People are going to make big fucking mistakes. So got to go both ways. Audiences don't film them. Comedians, stop filming yourselves and putting it out there. <laughs> Get yourself to five years. Yeah. Uh, well, there
0: there was that company that was making pouches that you put your cell phones in. Had you ever
1: yeah. done anything I've, like I've, that? I mean, I've been at movie premieres where, they, where they've done that. I mean, with me, I, 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 I'm very lucky. I think I have the kind of audience that doesn't do that kind of stuff so i don't need to worry about that you know i know other people do but um give people time to form for god's sakes did the do the did
0: the places in la where you would pre-pandemic normally try out material like largo or the satellite or or other places did they already have like very good policies in terms of
1: yeah and they they train also you got to train your audiences to don't bring phones you know you just got to train them like this isn't your time to Sit, put your phone away, and be in the moment. And just enjoy it. You, you have you know, trust your memory.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Patton, thank you for thank you for indulging me. Thank you for allowing me to thank record. You. Thank you for allowing me to record this for posterity.
1: Well, that's come on. This was <laughs> agreed before. There's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and uh, I look forward to seeing you on Rush Ticks, and uh, especially yeah. look forward to seeing. Uh, what you have to share and what everybody else has
1: to share when we all get out of this. Oh, God damn it. I can't wait. Damn all right, man. Yeah. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Last things first.
0: This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brizel at Showbiz Studios.